So this morning we're continuing our little series uh, that started last month entitled The Prayers of the Faithful. Uh, looking at some of the prayers in Scripture and seeing what we can learn from them, uh, from the circumstances around them and from the people involved in them. Last time we considered the prayer of the church, uh, thinking of the time when Peter was imprisoned and the Lord graciously answered the prayer of their hearts, even though they didn't believe that the Lord would answer the prayer of their hearts. It was a very significant thing to see in that, that passage. This morning we're turning to Luke chapter 18. Please, Luke chapter 18. And thinking this time about the prayer of a widow. The prayer of a widow. So just eight verses we're going to read, Luke chapter 18. And reading from verse 1 through to verse 8. Chapter 18, verse 1, And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint, saying there was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city. And she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, Yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith. On the earth. And there at verse 8, and we thank the Lord for his precious word to us this morning. The great inventor Thomas Edison is most famous for one particular invention. And in fact, it's something that he didn't even invent. Alessandro Volta, Sir Humphrey Davy, and Joseph Swan had all created working light bulbs in the years before, but they were all impractical, they were either too heavy burned out too quickly or simply couldn't be replicated. What the great Thomas Edison did was to take all of their ideas and turn them into a commercially available, long-lasting, easily replicated and relatively low-cost patented light bulb. It's a phenomenal achievement. After his death in 1931, records showed that the final working design for the so-called perfect light bulb was Thomas Edison's 2,774th attempt. He'd failed on 2,773 occasions. That's one day. That's one a day for seven and a half years. 2,773 failures, and yet still he didn't give up. That's the definition of persistence. And it paid off. And when we consider this parable this morning of a widow pleading with a judge to intervene in a sensitive and personal situation, a situation that was far beyond her control, that's the word that comes to mind. Persistence. She persisted in her request. And it paid off. And interestingly, the Lord shares this parable as an answer to the question in verse 37 of Luke chapter 17. He's been teaching his disciples about the day in which the Son of Man, the kingdom of God, will be ushered in, a future day. 
a day preceded by the suffering of the nation of Israel. It says that clearly in verse 25. A day in which God's foretold judgment on the nation would be realized. A day in which great division would take place. That's what chapter 17 is about. And in verse 37, the disciples say, But where, Lord? Where will these things take place? And the Lord answers, Wheresoever the body is. He's talking about a lifeless body, a corpse. Wheresoever the body is, there will the eagles be gathered. We've all seen those images of vultures hovering over a dying animal. Out in the desert waiting to feed on the corpse, as sure as the vultures will hover. And wherever the corpse of unbelief exists, there will the judgment of God take place. It was inevitable. The judgment of God was inevitable. And it wouldn't be limited to one place. And it was in the back of this revelation, this statement, that the Lord said, men ought always to pray and not to faint. And he tells the parable of a woman, a widow, who persisted in prayer, persisted in partition, and it paid off. That's what I want to consider this morning in context with this passage. Persistence in prayer. Persistence in prayer. What does it look like? When should we do it? And what should we expect from the Lord? The first thing I want you to see is the presentation of the problem. The presentation of the problem. We read about two people in these opening verses. A judge, a man who feared not the Lord, neither had any regard for man, and a widow. And this widow had a problem. Being a widow, we know that she had suffered loss. She'd suffered the loss of love, the loss of companionship, of friendship. The loss of her marriage bliss that had gone. She was widowed. She was also wronged. The Lord gives no details, no backstory, but he carefully describes a woman who felt a strong sense of injustice. Now, we're not told if it was entirely justified. The wider context, which we'll come back to a little later on, would indicate that there was probably fault on both sides. But she was demanding revenge. A punishment dished out to the one who had wronged her. And for her position to be vindicated. She'd been wronged. And she felt wounded. She was hurting. This adversary, this opponent had made her life incredibly difficult. I'd go as far as to say he'd made it unbearable. Or else why would she have persisted so much? This woman was a widow. She was wronged. And she was wounded. She was a troubled soul. And I think many of us at different times in our lives can relate to that. The pain of injustice. The hurt caused by someone else's actions. A word spoken out of turn by the wrong person, maybe on the wrong day or simply in the wrong tone. A word that cut deep. Maybe even backed up by actions that drove the knife in further. Wounded. Maybe felt wronged. Made to take the fall for something that wasn't your fault and you've let the bitterness creep in. You've let it consume your life. You've allowed it to become this impossible 
impossible barrier to getting on with life? Or have you lost what you once loved or, or maybe never really got a chance to? And you blame the Lord for taking away that thing that you once held dear, for turning everything upside down. It was meant to be so perfect. Why couldn't it just stay that way? The woman was a troubled soul. But notice that she went to one who could help. Her problem, problem was a legal one. The term adversary is a legal term, as is the word avenge. She had a problem with the law, so she went to the judge. As ungodly as he was, as uncompromising as he was, he was still a judge. And the judge had the power to change things. She went to the right person. She went to one who could help. And as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, described in Romans 8 as those he did foreknow and predestinated to be conformed to the image of his Son, and whom he did predestinate, them he called, whom he called, them he justified, whom he justified, them he also glorified. As those redeemed, justified, and soon to be glorified children of God, we are a spiritual people. And when a spiritual people are troubled, there's only one place that we should go. Jesus spoke this parable to this end, for this purpose, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. She went to the one who could help. And whether you're struggling with loss this morning, feeling genuine and emotional hurt or even experience the injustice of someone else's actions. I want to ask you, are you bringing it to the Lord? Are you bringing it to the Lord? Maybe you're happy to just categorize it as a legal problem or a personality clash or just simply one of those things. But is it affecting your walk with the Lord? Is it impacting your service? Is it clouding your spiritual judgment? Is it consuming your every thought? Because if it is, then it's a spiritual problem. You need to bring it to the Lord. She was a troubled soul. She went to the one who could help, and then, then she poured out her need. She said, avenge me of mine adversary. You talk about getting to the point. She had a problem and coming to the one who could fix it, she told him her exact need. She didn't hesitate. She didn't skirt around it. She knew exactly what her issue was and she pleaded with the judge to fix it, knowing only he could. She gave it over to him. A few years ago, there was a report of a lady in England using an unexploded World War II bomb World War II shell as a vase for her flowers. Turns out it could have erupted at any time. When she was interviewed later, she said, you know, it's funny to think that we kept it in the mantelpiece for almost 30 years. It just became part of the family. An unexploded bomb that just became part of her family. And folks, sometimes we can be a little bit like that with our hurt With the burden and the bitterness that we allow into our lives, it's like an unexploded bomb. Oh, we know it's dangerous. But you know, I've kind of got used to it sitting there. 
I've kind of got used to feeling like this. The bitterness doesn't break me anymore. It motivates me. The hatred keeps me going. The resentment that was, is what fuels me day after day. I know I was in the right, and that feels good. And to be honest, I'm completely happy with how things are. It's just who I am now. Folks, that's like having an unexploded bomb sitting in the mantelpiece. It's not good. But this woman, she wasn't going to be like that. She didn't want to be that person. She wanted it done. Over, no more bitterness, no more resentment, no more hate. Just take it away because I don't want to carry this anymore. We have the presentation of the problem. She brought it to the one who could take it away. And then we have the persistence of the woman. The persistence of the woman. I ask you to consider if you had brought your trouble to the Lord, your hurt, your loss, your injustice. Well, how many of you have brought your troubles to the Lord over months, years, and yet it doesn't feel like he's heard them? It doesn't feel like he was listening. It's all very well you saying, have you brought your thing to the Lord in prayer? Well, of course I have. I've been praying for years. And he still hasn't answered. I prayed in tears and he didn't make it any better. I went to the one who could fix it and he didn't. She brought it to the judge and got no response. Verse 4 says, and he would not. And he would not for a while. He would not for a while, for a period of time. He didn't budge. He didn't answer. And, and I looked up the word while to see if there was something in the original language that might be a comfort to us in those moments where it seems like the Lord's just not listening. Do you know what it means? It means an indeterminate period of time that could be either short or long. <laughs> it's not very helpful. The psalmist in Psalm 13 prayed, How long? How long wilt thou forget me, O Lord? Forever? How long wilt thou hide thy face? How long shall I take counsel in my own soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? She brought it to the judge and got no response. But what did she do then? Did she stop? Did she give up? Did she go and find some other source of help? No. She knew that he was the only one who could help her. She brought it to the judge and got no response, but she brought it to the judge and gave him no rest. She gave him no rest. She persisted. She came again and again and again and again. And again, verse 5 says, Because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her. I will give her what she desires, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Constantly coming, constantly knocking on his door, constantly persisting and presenting the problem before him until the judge relented and gave her what she asked. She wearied him with her persistence. She wore him down. And I think it's worth pointing out that the picture here isn't that of a child who cries to get their own way and out of pure annoyance and sheer 
impatience the parent just gives them what they want. That's not this. This is the picture of a fighter. The word weary is a Greek word associated with boxing. It describes a fighter, a boxer who never gives up in the ring, who takes beating after beating after beating and continually comes back for more. We're not talking about a yappy child trying to get their own way. We're talking about a ferocious fighter, a relentless competitor who never gives up the fight. Have you given up the fight this morning? Have you stopped coming to the Lord? Or are you continually presenting your problem before Him every single day? Echoing the words of Job. Though He slay me, yet will I trust Him. It's a hard sentiment, and yet for many that's the reality. Though He slay me, yet will I trust Him. She brought it to the judge and got no response. She brought it to the judge and gave him no rest, but she brought it to the judge and she gathered her reward. She gathered her reward. Because after a while, after an indeterminate period of time, either long or short, the judge relented and gave in to her cries. She had her reward. She'd been pummeled, pounded, bruised, bloodied. She'd been knocked back time after time and still she persisted because she knew that he had the power to fix it. She got her reward. And I don't know why the Lord doesn't answer the prayer that seems logical. The prayer that seems perfectly in line with his purposes, totally in tune with his character. Why would he let hurt continue? Why would he let his own child suffer? I simply don't know. Sometimes we'll never know the answer to that question. But that shouldn't stop us from coming. It doesn't change the fact that our Heavenly Father is and remains the only one who can fix things. Every other avenue is false. It's a distraction. It's a lie. She persisted because she knew there was no chance of reward any other way. No other source of genuine restoration for her soul. Only this judge could fix it. Can you imagine if you'd promised your wife or your mom an exclusive ticket to some big event at the SSE Arena? And the tickets were so exclusive that they were only being sold from one little desk at the venue. And you turn up, money in hand, and say, I'd like to buy a ticket, please. And they say, no, can't have one. Come back tomorrow. Oh, what do you mean? I'd like a ticket. I'd like to buy a ticket. They go, no, sorry. Maybe in a little while, but not now. Well, then you'd have two options, wouldn't you? Either you senselessly go and find what you need from somewhere else, knowing full well they couldn't provide it even if they wanted to, or you continue to persist with the one that you know can provide what you need. It's a no-brainer. Obviously, you would remain with the one, and you would try again and again and again. You see, because the Lord hasn't yet answered the yearning of your heart doesn't mean he won't. 
And when it all comes down to it, he's the only one who can. And the Lord invites us to persist. He invites us to keep on praying for the burden that he's placed on our hearts. We see the presentation of the problem, the persistence of the woman. But finally, in these verses, we see something very different. We see a picture of the tribulation. A picture of the tribulation. In verse 6, the Lord says, Hear what the unjust judge saith. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? The Lord was bringing his disciples back to the topic in hand, the topic of judgment. The inevitable judgment prophesied upon the nation. My dad was speaking about this on Wednesday night. The time of Jacob's trouble. This time when Israel would be judged for their rejection of Messiah, a time of great trial, a time of great torment, a time, praise God, that we don't have to worry about because it centers around the nation of Israel. The church will already have risen to meet Christ, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. The nation of Israel were to face inevitable trial, a trial that would bring tears, a trial that would bring suffering, a trial that would bring attack and deadly opposition. It would be oppressive, distressing, frightening. And yet into that inevitable trial, the Lord promised swift intervention. He promised swift intervention. Verse 8, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Those that torment his people, even though he allows it, even though he uses it for their sanctification, those that torment his people, he will avenge them. And he will avenge them speedily. In Matthew 24, speaking of the same incident, Jesus said, except those days be shortened, there should be no flesh saved. Yet for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. The Lord will intervene and he'll do it with swiftness. This was a period that was scheduled to last for seven years. Seven years after the church has been removed, a period of persecution, of opposition, a period of hatred, resentment, and destruction at a level never before seen in the history of Israel. I mean, you look at what's happening now, you look back at the horrific events of the Second World War, and it doesn't even come close to what's going to happen in the future. A period so terrible, so destructive, so painful that for the sake of their entire existence, the Lord has to cut it short. For three and a half years, the inevitable trial of Israel will unfold, but then the Lord will intervene. For such a long time, the woman repeatedly cried, avenge me of mine adversaries. And the judge said, not yet. Not yet. But soon. Israel will face an inevitable trial, a trial so consuming it will almost destroy them. And the Lord will say, not yet. Not yet. But when the time comes, the intervention will be swift. 
And with his intervention, with the fire of vengeance upon those who oppress his people, the Lord will bring a promised deliverance. He says in verse 8, when. When, not if. When the Son of Man cometh, will he find faith? We know from what was shared on Wednesday night that he will find faith. Zechariah 13, verse 8 says, And it shall come to pass that in all the land, saith the Lord, two parts therein shall be cut off and die, but the third shall be left. And I will bring the third part through the fire and refine them as silver is refined and will try them as gold is tried. Listen to this. They shall call upon my name and I will hear them. And I will say, it is my people. And they shall say, the Lord is my God. Romans eleven twenty six, And so all Israel, all Israel that's left, shall be saved. When the Son of Man cometh, will he find faith? Praise God, he will. And he'll bring the promised deliverance. They'll face inevitable trial. They'll see a swift intervention and they'll receive the promised deliverance. The Lord will faithfully answer the cry of his people and he'll do it in his time. That's what this parable's about. The cry of a people calling for deliverance. And the Lord says, keep on praying because your deliverance will come. Men ought always to pray and not to faint. And we ought always to pray and not to faint. Our God is the God of Israel. Remember? We were grafted in. We've been brought into that same God and that same relationship. This is our God, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah of Israel, is our Savior. And throughout the Scripture, we too have been told that we will face inevitable trial. Not on a national level, that's not for us, that's for them. But on a personal level, we will face inevitable trial. James says, brothers, sisters, Counted all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, when you fall into different trials for the trying of your faith. Remember the promise to Israel? They will be brought through as gold. For the trying of your faith worketh patience. Expect there to be trials. Expect it to be difficult. For the trying of our faith. We will be brought through, refined and purified and made ready. We face inevitable trials, but we too have a God who intervenes swiftly. If I was to ask the boys and girls this morning for the fastest animal in the world, they'd probably tell me it was a cheetah. A cheetah is absolutely the fastest land animal in the world, but some of them know that there's an even faster animal. The fastest animal of them all is a peregrine falcon. When a falcon spots its prey from a thousand feet up, it dives down at 200 miles per hour. That's three times the speed of a cheetah. And within seconds, it's swooped its prey and flown off. But until the moment of intervention, the falcon could fly for miles without swooping. 
can stay up there for at least 10 hours. But when it does finally swoop, when it finally intervenes, it happens like that. And it doesn't miss the mark. And when the Lord finally intervenes in our trials, He'll do it swiftly. And He will not miss the mark. But He does it on His time frame not ours. And that intervention might be to repair the hurt. It might be to restore the loss. It might be to bring comfort and acceptance in the circumstances, to provide reconciliation, whatever it is. When the Lord intervenes, he does it swiftly and he does it well. But until then, until then, we don't give up the fight. Relentlessly getting up onto our feet and going again in prayer. Every single time, Lord, would you do it now? Lord, when will you come? Lord, how long? Lord, I need you to intervene. There's no shame in praying like that. The psalmist prayed like that all the time. We need to keep on persisting in prayer. Inevitable trials, swift intervention, and promised deliverance. Those things are true of our God. And I want to come back to this again just as we close. I think this is so important. The woman never went anywhere else. She never went anywhere else. She didn't try a different method or hassle a different judge. She knew that there was only one who could help her. And she wasn't going to let him go until she, he did. And I think sometimes we struggle with that, but that is a perfectly biblical concept. In Genesis 32, at a time when Jacob was in real turmoil regarding his upcoming encounter with Esau. Remember, things weren't too good with Esau. We read that he was left alone, and there he wrestled a man until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, the man touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. Jacob experienced loneliness. He experienced fear. He experienced discomfort, and he experienced personal hurt. But in the morning when the man said, let me go for the day breaketh, Jacob responded and says, I will not let you go. I will not let you go until you bless me. You see, Jacob had been wrestling with the Lord. And he would not let the Lord go until he blessed him. And I pray that we might have that level of persistence in our prayers. Wrestling with the Lord. Not going anywhere, not getting off our knees until he blesses us. And I don't know what blessing will look like for you. Could be a blessing in a way that you really don't expect. Could be a resolution you weren't specifically praying for. 
But when it comes, you'll know that it was from the hand of the Lord. You'll know. You'll know that it was from the hand of the one who brings inevitable trials. The one who intervenes swiftly and the one who promises deliverance. You'll know. May our prayer be, Lord, I will not let you go until you bless me. Amen. We're going to sing together, please. Just as we close, 391 in the book. O Christ in thee my soul hath found, and found in thee alone, the peace, the joy I sought so long, the bliss till now unknown. The chorus says that only Christ can satisfy. Amen. What a wonderful truth. Let's sing this, please, together. Thank you.